Tonight I'm going to be talking to you about from denial uh, to reality. I actually um, got this thought out of this little book by John Baker, and Brother George is real familiar with this. Um, And it's uh, one of the books that is put out by Celebrate Recovery, and it's one of the principles that they share, stepping out of denial into God's grace. And God's grace is an awesome thing. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, so if you weren't able to be with us last week, I shared about, oh, 55 minutes or 56 minutes on my testimony and different things that I did that God uh, helped me to do as I uh, got free from heroin addiction back in the 70s. Um, many of you know my testimony when I was 23 years old. That's going to bother you. I don't want to bother you. When, when I was 23 years old, you know, I came to the end of myself. I had hit my bottom, and my bottom was a very low bottom. And so I reached out for help, and one of the first things that I needed to do, I needed to admit that I was powerless over this addiction, that I had no way and no way in the natural realm that I could get this monkey, if you will, off of my back. And so I went to people like my parents, and, and I knew that they were there for me. I knew that they would... Uh, not throw me out, that they would not uh, do something that would uh, hurt me, but that they would take me and help me to find a treatment center that I went into. And so this is a very important principle. You know, if you have loved ones or if you yourself are battling an addiction, of course there needs to be the admission and the removal from denial from your life, but it's important to have some people around you that you can call on. You know, whether it be a parent or or whether it be a friend or whatever the case may be, it's important that you know people and you have people in your life that you can say, you know what, I've come to the end of myself in this, whatever kind of an addiction it might be, and just call out for help. Amen. Amen. And you know, there's plenty of help out there. You know, the Holy Spirit, He just brings people across your path to help you. And that's a wonderful thing. So let's take it up another uh, notch tonight. And I advise you and exhort you to look at it, at least on the website, or to download it. From denial to reality. Well, I've discovered this, that in and of myself, that I'm powerless to get victory over anything that would attempt to bring me down or to bring me to a place of being in bondage. And so I want to make this statement. In and of ourselves, we are powerless to get victory over, and then you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Uh, In you and in me, we are nothing. In you, you can do nothing. In you, you have nothing. But these truths set me free when I first got born again way back in 1975. I found out that in Christ, I am a new creation. I found out that in Christ, I am the righteousness of God. I found out that in Christ, I can do all things through him that strengthens me. And I discovered that in him, I have redemption through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, at a very early, early ongoing in the treatment process, I was involved in AA and I was involved in NA, but I've got a hold of the word of God. And I must say that the word of God got a hold of me. And it was truth that set me free. And it was truth like I preach every Sunday here and Brenda preaches every Sunday. And Brother George and Pastor Tom, it is the truth that sets you free of who we are in Christ. That we are identified with Him. 
And so I make a strong suggestion to all of you tonight to get this little book by Charles Capps called God's Creative Power. Get this little pamphlet by Jim Caseman called Making Your Redemption a Reality. And get the word in you and start speaking it on a regular basis. So what we want to do tonight is we want to look at some serenity or we want to look at some freedom robbers. Well, the first one, of course, is pride. The scripture says that a man's pride will bring him low, but honor shall behold the humble in spirit. We did a teaching not long ago, as a matter of fact, last Sunday, that obedience equals humility and humility equals exaltation. If you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, what will he do? He will exalt you in due time. Now, there is the tendency for those that are addicted. There is the tendency for people to think this. I got this. I got this. No problem. When their life is completely and absolutely in shambles and completely and totally out of control. Oh, yeah, I got this. Sure, I can go out with the guys. I can go have a couple beers. I can still watch, you know, R-rated and X-rated movies. I got this. Oh, no, I don't need to cut anybody off out of my life. I don't need to cut this off or pull this out. I don't need to stop any relationships that are really hurting me. No, no, no. I can still hang out with those people. I've got this. Watching a little bit of this won't hurt me. No problem. You know what that is? That's not only stupidity, but that's pride. And scripturally, we know that the Word of God says that we are not to give the enemy a foothold in our life. And so the first thing that I had to do, and it's something that I have to keep under constantly in my life, is we need to make sure that pride is something that we absolutely won't put up with in our lives. And so this admission and, 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 and this realization that, man, this thing's got to hold on me, so I've got to make some adjustments. I, I've got to do something here. I've got to stop hanging out with that person. I, I, I've got to throw my computer out the window. I've got to drive home another way. I need to go to that meeting. I need to be in that church. Amen. And then the next one that I want to talk about tonight is open your heart fully to God. Now, these principles that I'm sharing with you this evening, they're transferable to everyone in this auditorium. Open your heart fully to God. Now, one of the most important things that happened to me is I began to understand that my mind needed to be renewed. You know the scripture as well as I do. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed or changed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The renewal of your mind is key. So when you turn your life over to Him, And this renewal of your mind is a process. It's a day-by-day process. It's not something that you do for a week and you arrive. It's something that you do as a way 
of life. Because there is a system called the world (laughs) that wants to pull you back into their current. And many of us who were in that current of the world, it almost killed us. And the enemy is just looking for an opportunity. Don't mean to, you know, put fear in there. But we need to use common sense and make sure that we are totally submitting ourselves to God. It was December 18th, 1974, when I really turned my life completely over to God. You see, I had been in a treatment center, and I was extremely miserable uh, because when you remove addictive drugs from a person's life, who had been addicted for many, many years, all of a sudden, you know, you come back to a place of what is so-called reality, and it really scared me to death. I mean, I was freaked out by all the messages that I was receiving from the enemy and all of the things that would go through my mind of people that had died and and all the lives that had been destroyed. It was absolutely awful, along with the torment of not being able to sleep and things like that. But, so I went, what they called in the treatment center, I went over the hill. And over the hill means that you call a person up on the phone and you say, come get me out of this place. I called up Jimmy Blake and they were there within two hours in their automobile and had a joint about this fat waiting for me. And so I, I tried to go back out into the world. But you know, there was something about when you hit your bottom, the world can no longer satisfy you. You know, sin is pleasurable, but it's only pleasurable for a season. And my season was over with. And I knew it was over with. So I went on a little seven-day, ten-day run and different things like that. But then I reinstated and recommitted myself back to that treatment center. And I can remember in a snowbank on December 18th of 1974, I was out in a snowbank with a guy by the name of George. But not this George. And uh, they, they had uh, provided some tickets for the St. Louis Cardinals, Minnesota Vikings playoff game. And so they said, well, some of the guys from the hospital could go. But before we went, we went out and lit up, drank a little bit. And I'm telling you, that whole day, I was so miserable. I was so bummed out. And I said, that is it. I'm turning my life completely over to him. This addiction's got me. I'm powerless. Without him, I can't do anything. And so I was saying in my heart of hearts, Lord, help! And so you know, when you call upon the Lord, hallelujah, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the Lord perhaps has been waiting on some of you here tonight to cry out for help. Amen? And so this renewal of the mind is something that's ongoing daily. There were certainly still old behaviors that still stuck on to my life. And so there was this presentation of my body as a living sacrifice to God. You know, you can remove the drugs and you can remove the alcohol, but it's difficult to remove old behaviors. And there's not necessary to talk about what those old behaviors are, but they are fleshly behaviors. It's fleshly thinking. It's thinking according 
to the world's system. So I started renewing my mind. Now listen to this statement. The more that my mind was renewed, and the more I submitted myself to good counsel, running with the winners through AA and NA, the more that I identified people that were really serious about getting free and staying free, and the more I got my mind renewed, the more my old lifestyle got removed. The more I got this mind renewed, the more my old lifestyle got removed. You see, what happened is I had new life inwardly, but some of my lifestyle remained outwardly. And so then I learned to think like God and to speak like God and to surround myself with winners and surround myself with people that had gone before me and had already attained sobriety and were living their daily life by day by day. And I began to follow them. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that we are through, we are to follow them, come on, who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. So, this is a process. And I've discovered this, and I've seen it in church. Brenda and I have been pastoring almost 40 years total. And I've seen it in church that if we do not submit to the process, we could very well end up back in the same bondage that we were bound with, or even something worse. Or, how about this, just be a jerk. Just be stupid and angry and miserable all the time and making everyone miserable. (laughs) That's not us, though. That's not His will. His will is life and life more abundantly. See, here's what had to happen. It's what the book of Ephesians says. He says this. He says, put off concerning the former behavior of the old man. It's corrupt. It's deceitful. It's lustful. Then he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on this new man, this new creation, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So listen, change, real change, whether it is in the area of addiction, in the area of being addicted to credit cards, real change involves adding and subtracting some things to and from our lives. In order for me to change, I had to get rid of some things. There had to be some putting on, taking off to experience change. Creflo Dollar uses the illustration of a diaper. And I'm going to read it to you. I love how he says this. He says, for example, you know, when you change a baby's diaper, you take off the old diaper, clean the baby, and put the new one on. And then he goes on to say, you must put off the old man how you used to be and put on the new man of who you are in Christ. Then he says this. He says, many Christians are trying to keep the old and then put on the new. However, in order to experience change, we must get rid of the old and then put on the new. I mean, if you're going to change the baby's diaper, you've got to get rid of the old. You just can't put the new on top of the old. And so I just want to encourage you tonight. I've been changed by God. I'm a changed man. And you know what? I'm still changing today. 
I'm still growing today. My desire is to be more like Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today. Whatever you may be dealing with, it is possible for you to change. He's given you that power. You are not powerless when God gives you a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Raise your hands and say with me, I got a spirit of power and a love and of a sound mind. Now the enemy will try to use circumstances and emotions to make you think that you don't have power, but the Word of God says that you have power, and if you do not have this power that I'm talking to you tonight about, this power is available right now and even at the end of this service. So I got saved in March of 1975. Two weeks later, I went to a Bible study in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I heard a Greek man by the name of Paul Arnopoulos preaching the gospel. This was a man that had a heart and has a heart. I think he's still alive for the poor and for the lost and for the hungry. This is a man that I could see the Holy Spirit all over. And it was in his living room. It was in the midst of the charismatic movement. I'm telling you, that charismatic movement was awesome. There were so many people getting filled with the Holy Spirit and saved by the power of God. And they sang songs like, It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And they sang that. I thought, wow, that's beautiful. Because all I ever heard growing up was, Ave Maria, you know. <laughs> you know, many fathers of Spiritu Santi, I mean, you know. But at the end, they gave the call to be saved. And of course, I was already saved, but I was, I didn't know I was saved, so I want to be saved. And then they said, anybody here want to be filled with the Spirit? I want to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, I was as all in and still am as all in for God as I was the devil. But I noticed this. That when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, there was a power from heaven that came into my life. And there was an enablement, if you will, there was a clothing, there was a cloak from heaven that gave me an endowment. And listen, temptation was still there in many areas. But I discovered the more I communed with the Holy Spirit, and the more I prayed in the Holy Spirit, the stronger I got down here and the easier it was for me to resist the temptations that were on the outside. So listen, friend, being filled, say it with me, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a must. So to see lasting change, we must never go back to our old ways. We must break bad habits. We must examine our words, examine what kind of images we're allowing into our mind. We must examine the kind of influences that we're letting into our lives. We need to remove all negative and ungodly words, all negative and ungodly images and influences that are really designed to seduce you to go back to your old ways. Listen to this statement. You will never go, and I will never, ever go beyond the character that we possess. 
And so what I started to do, and what you can do on a daily basis, is you can begin to develop the character qualities of Jesus Christ. And those character qualities are found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. There's nine of them. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's long-suffering. There's all these qualities of Christ that are really on the inside of you waiting to be seeded and waiting to be watered and to spring forth in your life. You know, the greatest character quality that you and I can experience is the love of God. Now listen, every person that's ever been addicted, every person that has allowed themselves to go down the wrong way and go down the wrong street of addiction, every person, they didn't do it for someone else. They did it for themselves. They did it because of me, myself, and I. But it's revelationary and it's revolutionary when you really look at the love of God. And so I want us to stand right now and I want us to say this together. Say this with me. The love of God in me. It endures long. It's patient and kind. The love of God in me is not conceited, arrogant or inflated with pride. God's love in me is not touchy. It isn't filled with resentment. The love of God in me. Let's go of people that have hurt me. The love of God compels me to forgive those who've wronged me. And to ask forgiveness for those that I have wronged. This love that's on the inside of me, it never ever fails. It just keeps on going and keeps on getting stronger. You know, one of the key qualities that AA teaches and NA teaches, and it's really in the Bible, is to make amends for people that you've done wrong. I was kind of naive in my sobriety in those days, but you know, I did a landlord wrong. I, I bailed out in the midst of my addiction. I bailed completely out of paying rent for a couple months. Months later, after I, I went into treatment, I had a friend driving me back from the treatment center 100 miles away into Minneapolis, and I went by that little church where I knew that this man would be. And I said, drop me off right here. Drop me off. What are you going to do? Oh, never mind, I've got I to I go ask that person to forgive me. So I walked into that church. And I said, sir, you may not remember me. I said, but I was one of your tenants, and I didn't pay you rent for a couple months, and I want you to know that I'm sorry, and I apologize. He looked like, what? And you might get some of those what's in your life, but you know what? God honors your heart. You can change. It's like Rocky said, if I could change, and you can change, we all can change. Brenda, come on, baby. If I were to ask you, how many of you believe that Jesus died for our sins? How many believe that? And I were to ask, how many of you believe that the stripes upon his back were for our healing? Again, most hands would go up. So I understand that when you're a part of a church like this, and you've heard messages on healing, and you've heard the Word of God, that it's easy to mentally 
agree that healing is for us. But on the other hand, I think if we would all be honest, and that's part of getting free from addictions. You've got to be honest with yourself. It's part of getting free in the Lord, and it's part of growing in the Lord, is to be honest with yourself. To locate where you're really at spiritually and say, okay, I need a tune-up in this area. I need to get the Word of God rooted deeper in my heart concerning this subject. So I think that, again, if all of us were honest, we could say, yeah, I believe that in my head. But then we could start to think about personal experiences. Anybody of you ever had a truth from the Word of God? You knew it was the Word of God. But then when you start looking at maybe your life or somebody else's life, you start questioning, yeah, but does that work all the time? And so I felt like that I needed to start out tonight, and that's why I wanted to have a little break in between there. We're going to end in a really joyous, wonderful place, according to the Word of God. But I felt like that I needed to start out from the standpoint of what if we have been disappointed? What if we've been believing God for healing and it hasn't manifested yet? Or it didn't manifest the way that we expected it? Or perhaps we had a precious dear loved one that loved the Lord with all of their heart. We were believing for them to receive healing and it didn't manifest and they died and they went to heaven. Some these things are real life. Anybody in here relate to either one of those things that I have said? It, obtain, it pertains to most of us. We've had one of, or more of those experiences. So I wanted to start tonight by just talking a little bit about my story. You hear a lot about Pastor Mark's story. You know, if you've been coming to this church very long, our stories are quite different. He was raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He went through the drug addictions, the whole thing. I was raised on a farm in Pawnee, Oklahoma, in a good Christian home. Our, our, our spectrums couldn't have probably gotten further apart. But at the same time, even though I was raised in a good Christian home, loved the Lord, all of my life, filled with the Holy Spirit, when I was 11 years old, there were still challenges and things that happened in my life that happened to me, to our family, that made me question, does God really heal all the time? When I was 21 years old, as a matter of fact, it was on my 21st birthday, which will be 40 years next month. My mother had surgery. She'd been having quite a few alarming symptoms in her body for several months. And our little town, our little country doctor, you know, they just would look at you and say, well, don't see anything wrong, send you home. Well, finally they decided to do surgery in the big city of Stillwater, where OSU is. And at that time when they did surgery, it was more of an exploratory surgery and they cut her open, sold her back up. There was cancer in her intestines, her stomach, her liver. This was what we were talking about 1975 here. And so there were some, you know, some options given. You can do chemo if you want to. Probably won't do that much good. So she elected not to do anything. And she said, I'm going to believe God. So we went home September 1975 with this terrible prognosis prognosis that year in the beginning of september our little pastor of our assembly of god church had begun attending rhema it was the second year of rhema 
So he's coming back and he's preaching on faith. I had a friend that had att- was attending that same year too. He's given me books by Brother Hagin. And, and even though I was raised in a good Christian home and had been taught the Word of God, I never heard such truths on healing and the authority of the believer. And my little heart was just eating it up. And I was my mother's main caretaker. I moved home. I was living there. My dad had his, you know, the farm to run and everything. So I was with her 24-7, basically. I'm reading her all these books by Kenneth Hagin. We're praying in the Spirit. We're confessing healing in the name of Jesus. I just knew she's going to be healed. I thought. I believed it. I expected it. And you know, it's been 40 years ago. But when something touches your heart deeply, you still sense that emotion of it. But I'm going to be real with you, okay? So, we believe God. I was doing my best and standing on the Word and saw the Lord touch her many times. She'd, she'd begin to have a few symptoms. Pain would come. We'd pray the pain would leave. She never, ever went back to the hospital. Never took pain pills. I mean, God's mercy and grace was upon her. But I remember a few days before she actually stepped on over into heaven, I had her hand, and I was praying in the name of Jesus, healing, and you're going to rise up. She pulled her hands away from me, and she said, Honey, stop praying. I'm tired. I want to go home. And I was like, Mom, no, don't give up. She said, I just want to go. I want to go home. And it was just a matter of a few days until she passed into glory. January 5th, 1976, she stepped over into glory. And I have to be honest with you. I wasn't singing and shouting the victory. I wasn't, oh, yeah, she's in heaven. 21 years old, just grabbing hold of the truths of the Word of God. I was devastated. I felt like it didn't work. Felt like faith doesn't work. I felt like taking those books that Brother Hagin had written on healing and throwing them in the garbage. I'm being honest with you. Like, God, my mother loved you. God, she was a wonderful, godly woman. You heard her confessions, you heard us praying. Why didn't she receive? Why didn't this happen? And I was tempted to be pulled back in to religious thoughts. It's convenient sometimes when we don't understand to just say, it was the will of the Lord. God's will was done. That's what I was tempted to do. Well, healing must not be for everybody. Healing must just be for some. If healing was for everybody, my mother would have been healed. I had all these thoughts that we all have to deal with. And I remember, I think she died like on a a Thursday. And I remember that following Sunday that my dad said, okay, we're going to church. All of us, all five of us kids, my two older sisters were married, their husbands. We went to church. (coughs) And as we were leaving, a well-meaning saint, I'll never forget it came up to me, I was standing there, and my brother, Ricky, and she said, Kids, God just needed another rose in his garden. And my brother, you know Ricky, (laughs) 
He's always had some spunk. He said, well, I think he might have said, boy, howdy. But I know he said, well, don't you think God knew I needed a mother here on earth? He walked out of the church and for many years never stepped inside the doors again. When we don't know why, don't put religious quotations out there. Don't try to make excuses for God. Don't try to say things that sound all pious. Just be there for people. Don't say dumb things. Don't say the wrong things that could damage someone's little tender heart for years. But I know after that happened, I'm not trying to sell my book. Many of you have it, but there's a whole chapter in my book. on. It's called, Hey God, Where Were You? And I get, go into more detail than we'll do tonight. But I remember I was tempted not just to throw Brother Hagin's books away, but I was tempted not to go to Ramah. I had already been making plans that entire year. I was working, saving up money, and I was going to go to Ramah in the fall of 1976. But I began to think and say, I'm not going to that school. The word doesn't work. It doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work to lay hands on the sick. It doesn't work to pray the prayer of faith. I'm not going. I'm going to take a different direction for my life. But I remember one night laying on my bed just crying out to God. Are you thankful that when we cry out to Him, His ears are open to the cries of our heart? When we don't understand why, when we don't understand how, if we'll just be transparent and just be honest and say, God, I'm hurting. I don't understand what happened here. I'm laying there crying out to him, not understanding. And I remember I was just all of a sudden overwhelmed by his presence, overwhelmed by his love. And something on the inside of me just said, I don't understand why, but I understand your love. And God, I know this wasn't your fault and I'm not going to blame you and I'm not going to get angry with you and I'm not going to run from you. I made the decision to run to him. Many people make a mistake when they face a difficult situation or something bumps up, bump up against something that they can't figure out or can't reason it out. They start blaming God and running away from God when the answer is in God. I had enough sense. I knew that. I knew it was in him I had to press in to him thank God for the Holy Ghost and thank God for a good daddy my dad said honey you are planning on going to Ramah I know this is a setback I know we don't understand it but you got to pursue that dream you got to pursue that call on your life he paid for me to go to Ramah he moved me down there he said You are gone. And I'm so glad that I pressed through my grief and questions and got to my place called there. I'll never forget the day that we were sitting in class. Hadn't been there that long. And Brother Hagin began to talk about the untimely death of his younger sister 
She died in her 50s. My mother was 51. And he started talking about how he was believing God and he didn't understand why she died. But a few days after she died, he was literally caught up into heaven and he had a vision. He saw his sister talking to the Lord. She turned around and she said, Kenneth, don't feel bad that you couldn't pray for me and get me healed, get my healing. There were reasons, but she didn't share with him the reasons. And then the Lord brought to his attention this scripture, Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is a good scripture. It's not a cop-out. It's a good scripture for us to remember. This passage of scripture says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of the law. Brother Hagin shared this verse and he emphasized the Lord telling him the secret things belong unto the Lord. He spoke to him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and said there were reasons your sister did not receive her healing. But they're between me and her. The Lord said this. That between me and her. And then he told him, you are not to touch them anymore in your thought life. I remember sitting in that classroom. It was exactly what I needed to hear. I'll never forget it. The peace and the joy that flowed. It just overwhelmed me, flooded my heart and my soul. I was immediately free from questions and confusion and wondering. And when the Lord told him, put it on a shelf, don't touch it anymore, and thought like, I saw myself just taking that big question mark in my spirit and putting it on a shelf. Have you ever put something way up high on a shelf and you forgot about it? Because it's out of reach. That's what I saw myself doing on my tippy toes, just putting it way up on a shelf, pushing it in the back and forgetting about it and not touching it anymore in my spot life. Some of you, I felt compelled to share this tonight because I know some of you need to hear this. It's easy to judge God and to question his word and his will when something happens. That we don't understand. And this was the other thing that I had to get past. It's easy to judge the person. I've been reading all this good material on faith. And first you get angry with God. And then you start saying, well, it was their fault. They just didn't have faith. Don't take that attitude either. Don't judge God. Don't judge the person. Don't do either. We don't know what's in a person's heart. The Lord told Brother Hagin that concerning his sister. It's between me and her. It's a secret between me and her. Basically, it's none of your business. Plus, we don't know what they may be enduring physically. Sometimes people just get tired. And they just start getting glimpses into glory. The last thing that my mom said on this earth was raising up her little hand and saying, I'm so glad you came to get me. She was saying over into glory. And she gave us a big clue. Don't pray for me anymore. You're keeping me here. I'm tired. I just want to go home. 
You know, it is never, ever a defeat when a believer dies. It's not a defeat. I'm camping on this for a little while tonight. You know, I thought I was going to have more time, but I'm just going to go with what I got in my heart. We'll pick up next week. Psalms 116.15 says this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's precious to him. No matter what kind of circumstance may surround it. The Bible says that our loved ones, we, when we step out of this body and step into glory, we are just go through the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. And then they're immediately in the presence of the Lord. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Philippians 1.23. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far, far better. If we were to ask our loved ones that have stepped on over into glory, oh, you want to just come back to earth for a few years? They'd look at us, are you crazy? Do you know how much better it is here? There's no way. It's far, far better. It's gain for them. Of course, we sense the loss. We miss them here on earth. But the love of God on the inside of us says, Oh, I'm glad for them. It's far better for them. And it is a temporary separation. It'll soon be 40 years that my mom stepped into heaven. But it is still a temporary separation compared to eternity. I got all eternity to get caught up and to spend with her and my dad. So we got to settle this in our hearts. Regardless of the circumstance or the age that our loved ones passed at, if they were a believer, it's better by far for them. For me, when Brother Hagin shared these things that day, it was settled in my heart that God's word is still true. Healing is still His will. I'm not going to draw back from teaching the Word of God. I'm not going to quit laying hands on the sick and expecting them to recover. Years after that incident, and Pastor Mark and I had the privilege to spend some time with the Hagans on a personal level. And I was talking to Brother Hagan about my mom passing young. And then my dad died 10 years later and, and the things that, that had happened in our family. And he said to me, you know, you have to know this, that it's far better for your mother, but you also have to know that this was an assignment to get you and your brother particularly to pull back from the call of God on your life. And sometimes these things happen. We're in a war down here. And sometimes there are casualties. And sometimes it's people close to us. And it's an assignment against them. But it's also an assignment against us to pull back. If I would have pulled back and said, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to go to Ramah. I'm not going to preach the Word of God like this. I'm not going to do that. It doesn't work. My destiny would not have been fulfilled. I got set free from those questions at Ramah. And even more than that, my destiny was there. And he was there that year 
Raymond was only one year. If I hadn't gone when I went, we wouldn't be standing here tonight. Together, I would have missed it. (laughs) We have to press through those difficult times. Press through those questions. Cling to the Word. Cling to Jesus. Lean in on the Holy Spirit. Been filled with the Holy Spirit at age 11. During those times, I still remember laying on the bed, praying in the Holy Ghost. And on the inside of Him, Him girding me up. Him giving me that strength to get up and go ahead and pursue God and pursue the calling of God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Word. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God His promises are true. They're not based on personal experience. They're still yes and amen. I want to talk a little bit tonight. Now we want to look into the Word of God to establish this. Healing is part of of our covenant as believers. Let's look at Psalms 103 to begin with, verse 1 through 5. Bless the Lord. Anybody in here tonight, bless the Lord with me. Bless the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord. Keep reading with me. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your disease? Who redeems our life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Can anybody say, yay God! Woo! Thank you for the rich benefits. Thank you for our benefit package. You forgive our sins. You heal. Notice it said, all our diseases. If you were to go through the Old Testament, you could see that God established a covenant of healing with His chosen people. How much more under the new covenant, under a better covenant, how should we have it established that Jesus is our healer? Amen? So let's just look at some of these verses. Jesus bore our sickness in his body on the same day that he bore our sin. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 through 5. We're going to spend the last time that we have together taking our medicine, meditating, looking at the Word, and let the Word speak for itself. He is despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. 
Surely, read this verse with me. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Read the next verse with me, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are, what? We are healed. I want to read you a little bit out of the Spirit-filled Bible here concerning this passage. Divine healing, Isaiah 53, clearly teaches that bodily healing is included in the atoning work of Christ and His suffering at the cross. The Hebrew word for grief and sorrows specifically means physical affliction. Many translations, grief and sorrows are translated sickness, and pains. He bore it for us. He was wounded. He was bruised. We were healed. Is were present or past tense? Come on, class. Past tense. Were is the same as was. Something already done. Heard a man of God say, if I was, I am. If I am, I is healed according to the word of God. And here in Isaiah 53, in my spirit-filled Bible, it says that this passage is verified over in Matthew 8:17. Keep your hands there and finger there in Isaiah 53 and turn over to Matthew 8:17 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by who? Isaiah the prophet. We just read it, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy of healing, which the prophet Isaiah had given hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. Now look back at verse 4 again. And I want to read a little notation here again. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now listen to this about bore and carried. The words bore and carried refer to Jesus' atoning work on the cross. It's made clear by the fact that they are the same words used to describe Jesus' Bearing our sins as he bore our sickness. Same day, same time, same precious blood that spilled out, that redeemed us from our sins, bore our sickness and disease. Part of our covenant right. Part of the work of Jesus. And then let's look over at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Giving you a good little workout here in the Word tonight on healing. It's good to go back and do a refresher and meditate on these scriptures. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, 
By whose stripes you might be healed. By whose stripes maybe someday you will be healed. No. What does it say? By whose stripes you were healed. If I were, I was. If I was, I am. If I am, I is. Everybody lift your hands right now and say, Thank you, Jesus. What you bore. I need not bear. Thank you, Jesus, for bearing my sin, for bearing my sickness, for taking away my pain. It's already done. The work at the cross is finished. I receive you not only as my Savior, But I receive you you. as my healer. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Just like we get saved by faith, we take our healing by faith. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that how are we saved? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And then it goes on and says, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the same with healing. We can get into this works program thinking I got to save 25,000 confessions today. I got to do everything just right. No, there's grace. There's mercy. Our requirement is to release our faith. And believe the word of God. So we've established that healing is part of our covenant right as believers. We'll get into a little bit more next week. But I want to start this part. Another reason that we know healing is for us is it's God's nature to do good. His word promises that. But also it's just the nature of God to do good. Let me help you with your doctrine here. God is good. The devil is bad. God is good. The devil is bad. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. You know, God wanted his people to keep this so straight that when he gave them the blessing and the cursing over in Deuteronomy chapter 28, they literally had to run from mountain to mountain. There was a mountain where all the blessings were read from. And then the guys reading it had to run over to another mountain. And then they read the cursing. This was a visual for them. God wanted them to see Blessing over here, if you obey me. Curse is over here, if you disobey me. It's the same today. Don't get your doctrine mixed up. God and the devil are not working together. God couldn't put sickness and disease on us because he doesn't have any. And he's not going to go talk to the devil and ask him if he could borrow some from him. They're not in cahoots. So let's just start by establishing this. God is good. Healing is good. 
Let's look at one passage. Romans, uh, no, Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing what? Good. Doing good. And what's right after that? Doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And that anointing caused him to carry out the will, the plan, and the purpose of his Father God, which was to do good and to heal. Healing is good. Healing is the nature of our good Father. Every good gift and every perfect gift, James 1.17 says, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. He's good, and he's never going to be bad. Every good gift. Healing is a good gift. Salvation is a good gift. Would you agree? Being filled... With the Holy Spirit is a good gift. Whatever good gift you need tonight, our good Father is here to manifest to you. Let's all stand to our feet. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that you are good. And you are good all the time. Hallelujah.